0: What's up, Wizards fans? Welcome to the Wizards Tip-Off podcast presented by Greenberg and Betterman Personal Injury Lawyers. I'm your host, Chase Hughes, and on today's podcast, I have David Aldridge, one of the best sports reporters out there, regardless of sport. Of course, he covers the NBA league-wide for NBA.com. He's also on TV with Turner Sports. He's at D Aldridge TNT on Twitter. And I'll ask him about the Wizards and also some league-wide topics because this guy knows everything and sees everything basketball. But first, I want to point out some things that I found this week and and wrote a story about, some research I did about the Washington Wizards, and I found a stat that uh, I found really surprising, and that is the Wizards this season have been much worse against losing teams than they have been against winning teams. And the stat is the Wizards are the only team in the NBA with a winning record against teams that are at 500 or better and a losing record against teams under 500. You don't see that split very often, right? The Wizards right now are nine and six against teams with winning records or at 500, and five and six um, against losing teams. Now, expanded standings that show this type of data only go back to 2001-2002 online, as far as I can see. But no team has finished in that time span a season with a reverse split like this. So it's unlikely to be sustained, but at this point, a third of the way through the NBA season, it's pretty jarring to see. And the Wizards, of course, have piled up some really ugly losses against teams like uh, the Clippers, uh, the Hornets, Lakers, Suns, Mavericks. A lot of these games, they were up um, sometimes by double digits before they coughed up the lead. They lost to the Utah Jazz, of course, who have a sub-500 record, got... Completely annihilated by them. They lost by 47 points, their second worst loss in franchise history. They also lost to the Miami Heat, who were just under 500. So the Wizards are playing up to good opponents and down to bad opponents. And, um, you know, the Wizards are going to have an opportunity to turn that around, but uh, we've been saying that for quite some time. You know, they have the Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday night. You may be listening to this after that game. Then they play the Memphis Grizzlies also a sub-500 team, and the L.A. Clippers, they see them again. It's unlikely that the Clippers will get two wins against them, you would think. But the Phoenix Suns uh, made things pretty interesting uh, just a few games ago. Uh, Of course, they beat the Wizards at Capital One Arena, but in Phoenix, the Wizards were up big, let that lead slip, and almost let the Suns get away with one there. So the Wizards um, need to figure out how to put away bad teams, especially when they have a big lead. Like I said, a lot of these games are up 10, 15, sometimes 20 points against a team that has no business even competing with them, yet the Wizards let them back in it um, and sometimes lose the game. Against the Clippers, they were up 13. They started the game 13 nothing, and the Clippers were without Blake Griffin, without Patrick Beverly. Danilo Gallinari wasn't 100%. They were a team that really had no business beating the Wizards, yet they ended up pulling off a one-point victory. And you know, some people might look at calls the refs made down the stretch, but there's really no excuse for that game even being close. So we'll see if the Wizards can turn things around. They've got a lot of home games coming up after being on the road for five straight games. Um, and we know last year is where the, the Wizards made their money, was at home. But it was also against bad teams that they stacked up a lot of wins against. They were 27-9 uh, and nine against teams that were under 500 last year. Again, compare that to being 5-6 and six this season And it's uh, quite strange. And the Wizards need to get this figured out, or else they might dig themselves a pretty deep hole uh, moving forward this season because they're 14 and 12 um, heading into this Brooklyn Nets matchup. But everybody knows that that record could and probably should be a lot better. All right, before I bring on David Aldridge, let me first tell you all right, let's welcome in David Aldridge. And now we welcome in David Aldridge, who of course does great work for NBA.com and also on the television set with Turner Sports. He's at D Aldridge TNT. And David, I want to ask you about some around the league stuff, but at first we have to, of course, get your take on the Washington Wizards. Uh, what do you make of their start to the season uh, at this point? About a third of the games have been played, and I think Wizards fans are pretty frustrated with how some things have gone. But if you look at the standings, they're not far off from where they should be.
1: Well, no, they're not that far off. Um, but you know, if you're trying to have a second round home court advantage, they're not where they should be. You know, I mean, that's to me, that's the only goal that this team should have at this point. I mean, you know, it's not likely. I don't think anybody expected that that Washington would have the you know the best record in the East over the course of the season. I mean, you look at. Cleveland and Boston. And figure one of those two teams is going to finish first, right? So I mean, that, nobody is holding that against them. But certainly, I think second place was was out there, was possible, was was something, was at least a goal at the start of the season you could you could aim for, and um, they should be a lot closer to that than they are. And the reason is, as everybody knows, is that they just blown a lot of games that they shouldn't have blown against teams that they should be. And that, that, to me, would be frustrating if I was a Wizards fan.
0: Do you think that's something that generally will loom large late in the season? You can dig yourself a hole that's tough to come out of, or do you think it's still early enough where they can recover from that slow start?
1: Well, it always seems to, oh, you know, with history any guide, it seems to cost you at the end of the season because you wind up, you know, instead of having a cushion, for example, let's say, you know, you're, you're three games up on whether it's Toronto or maybe even Cleveland or somebody else with eight games to go, you're two games behind, you know, I mean, those five, four or five games that you gave away early in November, they count, you know? So, um, you know, you would have an opportunity maybe to rest some guys going down the stretch or to, you know, do some different things. Instead of having to go pedal to the metal, which always um, increases the risk of injury and that sort of thing. So you just, all those things add up over the course of eighty-two games. That's why you you can't give away a game in November. Give away one game would be fine, but again, I think it's you're you're looking at five or six games that really they're inexplicable in terms of them losing those games. I mean, how do you lose to Dallas at home? I mean, how do you (laughs) lose? How do you score? You know, how are you up thirteen nothing on the Clippers team that has nobody and lose that game? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, the leads they're blowing, it's quite amazing, and if you look at uh, the matchups and standings, they have a losing record against teams with losing records. Um, it's inc- yeah. it's pretty incredible. Um, on that note, Boston's start, how does that change the complexion of the East? I think everyone knew they'd be good, uh, but being this good, um, I, I would imagine changes the landscape a little bit.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, if you're... if, if- we all assumed at the start of the year that Boston and Cleveland were the two best teams in the conference in whatever order you have them. I don't think it really matters because they both are capable of winning on the road. Um, I, you know, I, I think that in, in from that standpoint, nothing really is, is different. I mean, it's surprising how, I guess, you know, together they are this quickly as a team, given the injury to – Gordon Hayward, and given the fact that you had so many new guys that are part of the rotation, and given that you're depending now on two very young guys that are starting for you, that is surprising, but the fact that Boston's one of the top two teams in the East is not surprising at all, I don't think, to most people, because you just looked at what they had put together, and I think most people felt like they would at some point figure it out. It's just that it's it's a little surprising that they've done it so quickly.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I guess we should have known when Vegas set that over under, I think it was at like 57.5 wins or something, which was seemed crazy at the time, but now it does not seem that crazy at all. Uh, when you look at Bradley Beal, do you think he's doing enough this season to make his first All-Star team?
1: Well, look, I think he's right there and certainly will be in the discussion, you know, in the East. I certainly don't see any reason why he wouldn't get strong consideration, but the problem for, for Beal is that, you know, if, if you're looking at the East and, and guys that are having big years, I mean, certainly Kyrie Irving's going to get in. I, I certainly think John Wall will be in. And so after that, you know, it's just guards now. So he's going to be going up against whether it's DeRozan or Lowry or Ben Simmons or, you know, some – or Oladipo who's having a, a, a great season for a very surprising Indiana team. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys. Campbell Walker, even though Charlotte's not playing well, Kemba Walker's certainly playing well. Um, there's going to be a lot of guys vying for a very few number of spots. I certainly think Bradley deserves to be in the All-Star game, but, you know, once you start getting, I don't think he gets voted in, so then it becomes about what the coaches want. and You know, they tend to, well, there's no there's no way to kind of predict what coaches are going to do, and I certainly think, they could be moved by the way is playing this year.
0: Yeah, speaking of the Pacers and Oladipo, um, do you think what they're doing right now is sustainable? Because right now, obviously, the Pistons are starting to um, lose, pile up some losses. The Pacers look like the surprise team in the East at the moment. Uh, do you see them in the mix uh, come April?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I was, I, I was loud wrong about the Pacers. I thought they were going to you know, be, a, be one of the worst teams in the league this year. Um, and, again, Oladipo uh, and, and Sabonis have been much better than advertised, uh, they have really lifted that team up and, and helped them uh, be much better than I thought. Now, in, in Detroit's defense, they have had a brutal last two weeks in terms of schedule. I mean, just brutal. I mean, it's it's one, you know, heavyweight fight after another for them. Um, and when the schedule eases, I think that they'll start winning some games again. Um, but no, you're giving the NCA credit because they have really played very hard. They played, you know, they've been very, very good at home and really better than I thought. And they should get all the credit for that in terms of not uh, kind of mailing it in this year when when lots of people thought they would not be any good.
0: When you look at Otto Porter, uh, what do you see as his potential? Because um, he's a guy who keeps getting better, and I think he's underrated, certainly across the league, but probably even among Wizards fans.
1: Well, here I mean, the thing about the thing that you like about Otto Porter is just that he always seems to be in the right position and in the right place. Um, I can count maybe on one hand the number of times I thought, wow, he really forced that shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He just doesn't force shots. Um, and he makes shots. I mean, he's a shot maker. I, 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 that's a, another one of the things that you look at the Wizards. You go, why isn't this guy getting more shots? Because when he shoots, it goes in a lot of the time. So you, you know, he should be getting more shots. Um, so he, he's just a—he's become a really, really good player. Um, and and I don't—I didn't have any problem with them giving him the money this this past offseason. I think you can't let a guy. He's that young and, and who has performed at, at a high level like that. Get away, even if you have to overpay him. I mean, you know who isn't overpaid in the NBA these days, right? Except for LeBron. Right? <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's been a very, very good two-way player. I don't think he's as good defensively, maybe as some of his biggest <laughs> his biggest fans think he is, but he's a very solid defender. No question about that. And I just think offensively, he, he's so good at moving without the ball, at, at at being available weak side, knocking down shots, and posting up with great uh, confidence now. So uh, just become a really, really good player. And, again, he worked at it. And credit to him for hanging in there when, again, he was a guy that a lot of people thought was a bust after his first couple of years.
0: Yeah, he – just keeps getting better and better and better, and uh, certainly the Wizards are benefiting from that. When you look ahead to uh, the trade deadline, obviously it's a few months away. Do you think DeAndre Jordan's going to be the biggest fish out there um, for teams to go after?
1: Well, he's certainly, I mean, it's certainly, that's been rumored, and it wouldn't shock me. Um, the problem with, with DeAndre in terms of his market, though, is just, you know, this is a guy who really is, a one dimensional player. Um, you know, he's a great one dimensional player in terms of his ability at the defensive end. And certainly, if you play a system that, that that plays to those strengths, he could really help you. I mean, I think Milwaukee, for example, that would be a devastating uh, team, I think, for him to go to if they could figure out a way to get him. I mean, with Adena with Kumpo and with Eric Bledsoe out front. And him in the back kind of blocking shots my goodness can you imagine That'd be scary what they what they might be able to do so um but there aren't many teams that i think play to those strengths so i think the market for him is probably not as big in terms of a trade as people would think and then the other thing is that you know he's going to be a free agent after this year so um, and he just hired Jeff Schwartz as his agent. <laughs> Jeff Schwartz is not known for, for leaving money on the table. So, <laughs> you know, are you going to trade for this guy knowing that he is going to command a huge salary going forward as a, I think he's 29. maybe he is 29. Maybe 28. Yeah. So, I mean, is that something that you are willing to do going forward? I just, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you, there's been all kinds of rumblings. that Detroit played great, but there was all kinds of rumblings last year that they were trying to get rid of Andre Drummond. And I think, you know, DeAndre Jordan is in that same kind of category. He's a very, very dynamic player at the defensive end and rebounds his position, you know, incredibly. But really, you can't really run much through him offensively. And even though he's better shooting free throws, you know, than his worst, he's still not a good free throw shooter. So um, it's, it's going to take a team that really believes in, in what he can bring to the table. Um, you know, I remember when Dallas got Tyson Chandler a few years ago. That made a lot of sense. Tyson Chandler was the same way in that regard. He was the same kind of player, but that was a different league, you know, seven or eight years ago than it is now. So players like that, I wonder what their value really is going forward.
0: I know, obviously, we're a few months removed from the off season, but wh- why do you think it's become so commonplace to see big names traded, uh, as opposed to years past?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know that it's any different. Um, there's always, always been big names traded for one reason or another. You know, unhappiness with the coach, or you know, wanting to be in a winning situation. I mean. You know, Charles Barkley got. I mean, you think about everybody. Just about every star player's been traded at one point <laughs> or another. That's true. There's very few guys that stay their whole careers with one team, and even even a guy like Kobe, who, who did, he won, he has to be traded. You know, and they just didn't accommodate him. So, um, so that it, it's more the norm that guys get traded than don't get traded. So. Uh, I don't know that it's any different nowadays. I just think that because of social media and things like that, it's, it's more prevalent and more in your face than maybe it was a few years ago when it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, all, all manner of guys, going back to Will Chamberlain, I mean, guys, <laughs> great players get traded in this league um, because people want talent, and you, you will give up whatever it takes to get game-changing talent. And so guys like that are always in demand.
0: Speaking of that, Chris Paul and the Rockets, things are working out quite well for them. Um, Michael Lee keeps tweeting out, and it's, it's such a great stat, that they haven't lost since they, or with Chris Paul in the lineup. Why do you think it's working so well for them right now?
1: Well, because <laughs> they have two <after> great players. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really as simple as that. I mean, they've got an MVP, a guy that I think right now is, is, to me, the MVP of the league in James Harden. And, you know, I know Chris Paul hasn't been in the lineup all that long since coming back, but you know he is still one of the top two or three point guards in the league. So when you have two guys that are basically unguardable, it becomes very difficult to stop that team. And they are, you know, just bludgeoning people offensively. Their ability to create wide open shots for whether it's you know, Ryan Anderson or you know Eric Gordon has been great for them the last year or so in terms of making shots and. Um, you know, they've got shot makers all around those two guys, and then you've got a guy like Capella diving to the rim every play. It just makes it really difficult to stop them. And the the impressive thing to me about them is their defense. I think they're fifth in defensive rating this year. So, I mean, when you can score like they do and you put any for, any type of effort at the defensive end, what you get is, you know, you get a team like the Warriors that just just kills people and gives your, your starters lots of fourth quarters off. So um, you know, right now, uh, look, I still think the Warriors are the best team when everybody's healthy, but the the margin, the difference between those two has shrunk dramatically, and, and Houston certainly can and should feel like it can beat Golden State in a seven-game series.
0: Last question for you. You pay attention to the Redskins, right? Sadly. Sadly. Uh, <laughs> what would you do with Jay Gruden? Because I'm a Redskins fan, I know this is off off the beaten path, but I'm a Redsons fan yeah. and I don't know uh, what I would do because I like the guy a lot, but things are spiraling down very quickly. Would you let him go?
1: Well, look, uh, I don't think Jay Gruden is, is the problem essentially. Um, I, I don't think he's all that great a coach, to be honest with you. I mean, I think he's, I think your record, you, you are what your record says. I think some, Bill Parcells said something like that um, many years ago and I think it's true and that well look at Jake Rudin's record since he's been here. He's not, not anywhere close to 500. Um, they've they've been a, an occasionally good team, <laughs> but <laughs> for the most part, they have been a team that, when they get a chance to take the next step, tend to disappoint for one reason or another. I'm not saying that's all Groom's fault, but he's the coach. At some point, the coach has to be responsible for what happens on the field. So, um, having said that, again, I don't think he's the problem. You know, <laughs> the problem is that <laughs> there is no culture of growth, of development on that team, there's only a culture of shiny toys. What's the next shiny toy, the next bauble that that I can accumulate to (laughs) make my fan base excited enough to pony up for these season tickets? And until they change that, nothing is going to change. You know, there's no... You look at... I mean, this isn't complicated to me. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not complicated. Those Those are not mutually exclusive things. If you look at whether it's New England or Pittsburgh or Green Bay, the teams that went in year in and year out, not, they have great quarterbacks. I mean, they all have great quarterbacks. They get that. But what they also have is a culture where the team concept is the most important thing, and building a team that can compete week in and week out. I mean, look what the Packers have done without Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I'm not saying they set the world on fire, but they have been competitive and they've won games you know, on the road, down the stretch, and and that's not by accident. You know, because they have t- people that compete as a team. That's not the culture in Washington, and it hasn't been for a very long time. And until it becomes the culture in Washington, they're just going to. So if they fire Gruden, they'll just bring in the next guy who won't be able to get it done because of those very same problems that they have at the top of the organization.
0: Right. I think the Packers are a great example. You know, you could also look at the Seahawks. Teams that have had way bigger injuries than the Redskins have had, and everyone wants to point to the injuries. Uh, that's not the only reason why things are going south right now.
1: Right, well, exactly. Um, they've had injuries, no question that they've had tons of injuries at, at key spots to key guys. But who hasn't? Right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, the, the Seahawks <laughs> lost their tack, starting tackle, left tackle, and you know,
0: and Richard Sherman,
1: and Richard Sherman, and they're still competing. They're not winning every week but they're competing. You can tell the difference. People aren't stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. You can tell the difference between a team that's laying it out on the line, that's competing, that's giving your, giving themselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter, and a team that isn't. And I defy you to tell me the last two weeks the Redskins have, have been competing at the level they're capable of competing.
0: Right. Well, at least D.C. fans have the Wizards, uh, and that's not something that people have said uh, for, for many, many years. But they are a very good team, and I appreciate you joining us to Talk about them. Uh, Once again, this is David Aldridge at D Aldridge TNT on Twitter. Uh, Thanks again for joining the show.
1: Chase, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Really appreciate David Aldridge taking the time. That was great insight from a guy who knows this league as well as anyone. Uh, For my money, probably the top league-wide reporter uh, in the NBA and certainly one of the best across sports. Uh, Those guys... They have to watch a lot of games, uh, build relationships with a lot of people. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to keep track of everything and come on a wizard specific podcast and give you know astute points and, and, and specific analysis uh, about just one team out of the 30 when you have to follow every single one of them. Of course, David Aldridge is based in D.C. I see him at a lot of Wizards games, um, but he's also got to pay attention to the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns and all these sorts of teams to be able to talk about them. Um, on, in his column and, and on TV and, and on the radio, of course. Uh, the Wizards, uh, like I said, are about to come home, um, but we have a bunch of Wizards tip-off podcasts recently that you should make sure you check out. Uh, last week, I did a special on the NBA 2K team that the Wizards are starting. They're going to have a professional NBA 2K18 team. Yes, that's video games. That's eSports. Sounds nerdy. I'm sure there's a lot of Mountain Dew involved, but this is big business. And Zach Leonsis and Grant Peranjepe, two executives for the team, explained what it's all about. So make sure you check that out. Our next episode this week will have former Wizards player Drew Gooden on it because he is joining the NBC Sports Washington broadcast on Wednesday night as a color commentator. Uh, He'll join the booth with Steve Buckhans and I believe Kara Lawson as well. Um, as the Wizards take on the Memphis Grizzlies, so we'll talk to him about that and also things that are going on with the Wizards right now. Again, this is the Wizards Tip-Off podcast presented by Greenberg and Betterman Personal Injury Lawyers. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe anywhere you can find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, We're all over the place. We have our own site for the podcast on art19.com. Just search Wizards Tip-Off on google and you should be able to find us if you like the show subscribe give us a rating uh and you know hit us up on twitter um i'm at chase hughes mbcs Uh, my co-host who is not on the show today is at c mills mbcs Uh, if you ever have a wizards question you want us to tackle on the show feel free to hit us up we will definitely get to whatever questions we get okay thanks again to david aldridge for joining the show and as always thanks to you for listening to the wizards tip off podcast.